hello, it's me, Emma. And right now, I'm on a holiday break. I'm taking a few weeks off to spend time with family, rest my brain, and sleep as much as possible. But in the meantime, I'm rerunning some of my favorite episodes from this year, just in case you haven't heard them yet, or just in case you want to hear them again. So I hope you enjoy this episode rerun, and I'll be back with new episodes on January 11th, 2024. Happy holidays. I love you. I appreciate you. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, enjoy the episode. Today, I present to you Amanda Montel, a writer, a linguist, a fellow podcast host. We're going to podcast together so hard. It's going to be scary for all of you at home. Two podcasters together, now that's dangerous. So buckle your seatbelt. Amanda has written three books. One of them is about to come out. It's called The Age of Magical Overthinking. Obviously, we're all going to be reading it when it comes out. But today I want to zoom in on one of our many common interests. She wrote a book called Cultish. She wrote an entire book about cults, the language used in cults, cult-like behavior. I'm excited to talk to her about cults as a whole, but more than anything, discuss how we participate in cult-like behavior on a day-to-day basis without even realizing it. And she's really investigated the line between what is a cult and what is just cult-like behavior, what makes it healthy and what makes it dangerous. And this is something I am curious to explore because I think it's a little bit more relevant than we even realize. This episode of Anything Goes is presented by Azo Vaginal Health Products. Azo offers an entire line of products designed to help balance your vaginal pH and protect your vaginal health. Save 20% with promo code PODCAST on azoproducts.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can do much more than build a website. You can set up your own online store. It doesn't matter what you sell, physical goods, digital products, services. Squarespace has everything you need to start selling online. You can even sell custom merch. Just design it. Production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you. And with Squarespace's asset library, you can upload, organize, and access your content all in one place. To get started, head to squarespace.com slash Emma for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Emma to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. When you want someone compatible, start the search on Bumble. It has the features you need to find exactly what you're looking for. Like a six-foot Aquarius who likes rock climbing and also wants kids. Or a runner with a penchant for poetry who loves dogs and wants a serious connection. We know, you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Download Bumble today. What got you interested in cults? Like, when did that become a fascination for you? 
The seed was really planted by my dad. My dad spent his teenage years against his will in a cult called Synanon. It was an extremely exploitative, classic 70s cult. And it was stationed in the Bay Area when my dad was there in the late 60s and early 70s. It started out as an alternative drug rehabilitation center mm -hmm. that grew to accommodate so-called lifestylers or people who were just interested in the countercultural movement of the era. And my dad's dad was one of those people who was kind of bored of nuclear family life and wanted in on this experimental lifestyle. So he forced my dad, who was 14 at the time, to move to this compound where children lived separately from their parents in these dismal barracks and People weren't allowed to work or go to school on the outside, although my dad did lay low and hitched a ride into San Francisco every day so he could go to a normal school. And uh, yeah, so it was really oppressive. Everybody wore similar clothes, but the life in Synanon was defined by this one core activity, which was a mandatory nightly ritual called the game, which was framed as a form of group therapy, but really it was a means of social control where everyone was divided into groups. They would gather in a circle and be subjected to hours of vicious interpersonal criticism. So they would call someone out and say, Emma, I'm not going to insult you. But I would be like <laughs> By the way, you can. I'm not a sensitive person. I can fucking take Actually, I am so sensitive, but I can take it. Oh, my God. I would. I don't know if I would be good at the Synanon game. I would like to try it. But, I would um, be terrible. <laughs> I'd be like, you're super. You're really gorgeous. Yeah, no, you're like, really too gorgeous. You're giving hot. Yes. And <laughs> so sweet. I, I, like, yeah, I don't think either of us would be good at no, this. I don't think I would be. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the centerpiece of life in Sinanon. Um, so my dad escaped as soon as he could at the age of 17, went on to become a research scientist. My mom's a scientist too. And I grew up on these stories of Sinanon. And as I came of age, I couldn't help but notice that the techniques of influence that my dad described yeah. on the compound uh, showed up in everyday life like my high school theater program and you know yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, like the startup where I worked in my early 20s and certainly once I moved to LA the ways that everyone talk would talk about fitness soul cycle wellness goop you know yes. I was like cultishness is everywhere and I studied linguistics in college language is my passion it's like the <laughs> lens through which I'm sorry Ernest yes um but it's like the lens through which I see the world and so um I, I see cultishness, but more so I hear it. And so the, the ways that we speak every day are really reflective of our various degrees of cultish influence. Do you think growing up around these heavier stories about Synanon was helpful for you in some ways? Like, do you feel like it made you more keen about the ways that you can be manipulated. Like, do you feel like you were less gullible because you yeah. were exposed to that at such a young age? I would like to think so, you know? Interesting, because, <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. yeah, well, when I when I set out to write Cultish, I, I kind of felt a little smug about myself, as, as a lot of us do. You know, we, we watch cult documentaries and we hear these stories and we think, I'd never fall for a group like that. Doomsday preppers, you know, the Heaven's Gate types. How could they ever believe this you know, poppycock. Like, totally. So obviously untrue, or I, I would like to think I, I'm not so um, amenable to this type of group. But indeed, I was humbled by the research process because I 
would speak to members of cult-ish groups along this wide spectrum. And I saw myself in them. Like, they're, they were not the sort of desperate, you know, intellectually deficient stereotype yeah. that tends to be portrayed by the media coverage of, of so many of these cult tragedies. They were, if nothing else, optimistic, extremely so. I think of myself as a super optimistic person. Mm -hmm. They were service-oriented. They were really interested in actively finding their life purpose. They were not interested in mainstream institutions, mainstream healthcare system, government, traditional religion. They were sort of countercultural. And these groups tend to flourish during times of broader sociopolitical tumult like now. I really saw myself in a lot of them. So it's been fascinating to take everything I believed about cults like, oh, I know I know what a cult is. You know it when you see it, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, they there are so many quotes that sort of reflect that prevailing wisdom. Like a cult is a group where the leader thinks he can talk to God. A religion is a group where that leader is dead. Yeah, you know, there are yeah, all these yeah. things that put it into perspective. Really, like the word cult is so subjective. It's so hard to define, actually, objectively. It's so sensationalist. It's so alarmist. And yeah. There's something about them that's not all bad. That's why they're alluring. That's why totally. people end up in them. Totally. They are aesthetic. Yes. They are they do provide a sense of community and yep. belonging and ritual and meaning, these things that we all want. Yep. And up until a certain point, they're great. I, I did research about what a cult was, and it was interesting because every result was a little bit different. I think a misconception I had about cults was that they're all religious. Like they're mm -hmm. all very, very spiritual and there's always a God. That's what I assumed. That's actually not the definition. The definition is more about there being a set of rules and a really strong leader and it usually ends badly. Like that's kind <laughs> yeah. of how I've seen it. Although like what's so wild is that like there are plenty of cult-like groups that actually don't have one singular leader with a face. I mean, QAnon. Who's the leader? Totally. And that's part of the mystique and that's part of what makes it so insidious. Yeah. Um, but I feel you because I, I grew up with these scientist parents. You know, one of them was a cult survivor. I I was sort of conditioned to think cults must have some element of the metaphysical or the supernatural. But Synanon didn't. It wasn't a religious group. So the whole experience of writing this book and seeing cultishness in everyday society has really like invited me and I hope others too to look more at our own cultish affiliations and to have yep. more empathy toward people who it would be so easy to say like, oh, they're in a cult, they're brainwashed. Yep. Being somebody who has a way with words, you. Um, what is your definition of a cult in your head? I wish I had something super succinct, like a soundbite, you know, yeah. to do or to, to deliver in every interview. But genuinely, like, it there is such a continuum of this type of influence. So whenever I'm talking about these groups, I tend to either get really, really specific with my language. And if I'm talking about a 90s era millenarian doomsday sect, mm -hmm. that's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. But that's a mouthful. Yeah. So yeah. what I will often opt to say instead is a sort of hedge. I'll say, well, that group is cult-ish, which doesn't necessarily have to be super destructive. Honestly, the the bounds separating, you know, cult from religion, from culture, from, you know, celebrity worship. A cult leader can be a politician meets business leader meets celebrity. Like yep. these 
boundaries are so blurry. And I think we're all, you know, we're all a member of a group like that, but we might not all be comfortable describing it as a full-blown cult. So totally. we can at the very least say, okay, yeah, the group is cult-ish. Sometimes I'll, I'll be cheeky about it, but like I... I go line dancing every week. Oh, that's so cute. Have you heard about the line dancing in LA? No. I feel I don't even like want to shout it out because I because it's don't, like cold. We're not gatekeeping the line dancing. <laughs> Is it so fun? It's about uh, we'll we'll offline about it. Well, oh. Yes. <laughs> I need something like that. Something pure and real. It is. It's pure and real. That's gorgeous. It's it's delish. And um <laughs> it it I mean, listen, it comes with a language, a culture, an aesthetic, rituals, and I am all in. Yeah. It does have a leader. I would do anything. For him. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about my hot Pilates instructor. Yep. This guy is like to me, like he is totally he kind of has a culty following. Yeah. And I'm totally buying it. <laughs> and I, but I, it's so positive for me. Yeah. Like, I think we're both right now talking about, you know, a part of our weekly routines that that has a cult-like feeling to it. But that's actually kind of healthy. Yeah. Okay, okay. So maybe let me articulate it this way. The, something could be cult-ish, but net positive when it fulfills our inherently human cravings for ritual because we have that yep. we like to engage in sort of these like traditional practices that signal something important is happening yep they satisfy our cravings for for meaning they give us an identity template it's like we're living in the 21st century there are nearly infinite options for directions that our life can go in or at least the illusion of those infinite options we see them online every day um and a cult or a cult-ish group even a positive one shows you like this is what someone in this group does. This is how they dress. Honestly, I don't buy clothes anymore that I can't wear to line dancing. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you and your line dancing. This is amazing. If there's not Western trim, get it out of my no, face. No, it's not. It's not being added to cart. <laughs> Literally. Like, don't even think about it. Straight up. Not on the so, mood It So it gives you that very, like, comforting identity template. And it infuses your life with purpose and meaning. Those things are good. But it's when a group becomes too dogmatic about them. Yeah. It doesn't make any room for questioning. It doesn't give you any dignified exit strategy. Mm -hmm. That's when it starts to cross the line. That's an interesting distinction that I've never thought of prior to now. Cultish behavior is one thing. Things can be cultish without being a cult. The line is so blurred. For it's sure. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable how blurred the line is. It's hard to navigate when you know, like, we all know cults are bad, right? Or we think cults are bad. Yeah, we think it. We think cults but are, are bad. They? But are they? Not necessarily. Yeah. We'll see. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's it's hard. I think it's so this is why we're all none of us are safe because there is no manual to yeah. Navigating. None of us are safe. None of us are safe. Okay. <laughs> Any of us could like fully like we could avoid a behavior that feels cultish because we're like, oh, you know, this is unhealthy. I shouldn't be doing something like this. But meanwhile, that's actually a really healthy human behavior. You totally. see what I mean? Yeah. It's very hard to it's navigate. It's funny that you say that because I was concerned when I set out to write this book that becoming so hyper aware of how cultishness manifests in the way that I speak and the way that others speak would turn me into like a cynical misanthrope, you know? Yeah. And 
by contrast, it actually made me appreciate our inherent communalism and dreaminess as a species even more. Mm -hmm. Um, And it made me want to teeter up closer to that very blurry line. I talk about it differently and we and we're talking about it in a way that can seem really paranoid. Like nobody's safe. But genuinely, like my 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 message is not necessarily to like defect from any group or behavior that could be considered cultish. Mm -hmm. It's more to lean into that critical thinking and to always have that skeptical twinkle in your eye that suggests that there's always some amount of make believe here and our identities are more complex than any one given group guru or glossary. So maybe the answer is to become a member of multiple different cults. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yes, diversify your socio-spiritual portfolio. Yeah, but also will. the awareness, like I think it comes down to awareness in a way. You just don't want to lose control. Yeah. It's when you lose control that things get a little spooky. You don't want to lose too much control. Here's And here's that's the yeah. wild thing, right? Because, like, I think part of why people love SoulCycle, and maybe you feel this way. I was a SoulCycle total cult Were member. you? Yep, Were you? Absolutely. And I'm still, I, I'm the workout class cult member to a T. I'm, oh my I'm always addicted to one or the other. Funny. Well, I actually, like, I mean, I came across studies that the Harvard Divinity School did. Like, this is, you know, a top institution that was, you know, finding that people were saying, Protestantism is out. Church is out. Yep. Soul cycle CrossFit. This is my new religion. People yeah. are saying CrossFit is my religion. Um, and, you know, if when you compare the groups, it's like there is a charismatic leader who has mm-hmm. these incredible oratory stylings. But but speaking of the sort of like losing control when I'm at line dancing. <laughs> and I love this. This is my this is like my reference point. But um, I- I'm sure everyone has one that they can think of from their own life. But totally. I do appreciate a certain feeling of surrender that I feel during that four-hour period. Four hours, listen to me. It's sometimes it's even four longer. Hours is a lo- <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I'm, I'm loving this. We have to talk about line we'll dancing. We'll get into it. Next episode's all about line dancing. I need to know everything. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, but a certain amount of surrender actually feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I like what this one scholar named Gary Eberl said. Um, he he defined something as ritual time. There needs to be a period when you engage in these cultish behaviors and maybe there's a ritual to signify that that period has begun. And then there needs to be a ritual to signify that that ritual time has ended, whether it's taking off your cowboy boots or blowing out a candle or taking off your shoes or whatever it is. The word sacred literally means to set aside. And so I think that some of these more transcendent surrendering experiences need to be set aside from our more complex, nuanced life in order to protect ourselves. Maybe that is the difference between a healthy situation and an unhealthy situation. When your entire life becomes about this does Entity. it follow you off the line dancing floor? Yes. Does it follow you <laughs> the off? Is clearly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, but can you, like, is there, do you have a life outside of it? Because, like, and I think you yeah. do with line dancing. And I think I do with my hot Pilates yeah. Yeah. class. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think we have a health, we have health. It's honestly boundaries. Is Does it come down to boundaries? Like, maybe that's it. It's like having a healthy space where it's like you can surrender in like a safe environment. Yeah. And you can surrender and, and you know, sort of 
lose control and 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 let somebody else guide you in a way for a little while, knowing that you will be going back to you at some yeah. point that day. So here's the trouble. You know? And there's always like a counter perspective to like everything. We're like, oh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. And yeah. It's like, yeah, maybe. But listen to this. Right, so like right. a lot of cultish groups are really effective at making you feel like this is a safe space and making you feel like there's room to push back. But actually you and your gut know that there's something amiss, even though they're saying all the right things. And this is why this book is about cult language, Mm -hmm. because I genuinely believe that that is a cult leader's most powerful tool because it's invisible. It's seemingly commitment free. But Every clue that this group is maybe too cultish for comfort can be heard in the way that they use language and the way that they encourage their followers to. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can do much more than build a website. You can set up your own online store. It doesn't matter what you sell, physical goods, digital products, services. Squarespace has everything you need to start selling online. You can even sell custom merch. Just design it. Production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you. And with Squarespace's asset library, you can upload, organize, and access your content all in one place. To get started, head to squarespace.com slash Emma for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Emma to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Who doesn't wish they had a little bit more time? But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how do we even use it? I feel like if I had an extra hour every day, I would spend it, well, I'd like to say I'd spend it meditating, deep breathing, self-reflecting, but I would probably be using it on my phone. And I know that that's cliche, but it's true. It's good to sit down and think about what's important and make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can work with you to define your values and understand your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash anything today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash anything. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Dig into how cult leaders in general use language to draw people in. Like, what does that look like? At its most benign and across the board, all cultish groups will have a vocabulary of specialized buzzwords that will carry like some amount of emotional charge. We all have this sort of in-group mentality that can be constructed with language. And in certain corporate environments, it might involve using language like we need to get aligned on those holistic organic initiatives. You yeah. know, it's yeah, like this sort yeah. of it's like, what does that even mean? Like it doesn't really mean anything yeah. or and not anything that can't be said in plain English or maybe truly nothing at all. But it does signal that you're a part of this in-group. And when you when you use it, you are filled with a sort of a sense of superiority. It's like I'm on the inside of this group that knows how to use these buzzwords. And just using them alone is a signal that, that I'm in. And there's an us versus them dichotomy that may or may not be super destructive. But when it starts to become a little bit more of a red flag is when you hear techniques like the thought terminating cliche. This is like my favorite element of cultish language uh-huh. to discuss because one 
once you know what it is, you won't be able to unhear it. Um, it's a sort of stock expression that's easily memorized, easily repeated, and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning. Every cult leader needs a roster of thought-terminating cliches in their arsenal. So a uh, thought-terminating cliche might sound like something along the lines of, uh, you know, in, in a new age group, uh, well, that's just a limiting belief. Or yeah, in, yeah. Uh, you know, like a pyramid scheme environment, they might say, well, if, if you're not making, you know, the money that you were promised, well, that's a victim mindset. Yeah. And then you can just repeat victim mindset, victim mindset. I can't have a victim mindset. I can't have those limiting beliefs. And thought terminating cliches also show up in our everyday lives uh, in the form of phrases like, oh, boys will be boys. Or yeah. it's all in God's plan. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And they're really effective because they put your cognitive dissonance to bed. You know, when you feel that sickening internal skirmish where you're like, this group that I've invested in for so long, it, you know, should be great. And, and I want it to be everything it was promised to be. But actually, I have this intuition that something is hypocritical or something is amiss. A thought terminating cliche can be delivered to you to put that cognitive dissonance right to bed. And that will allow those in power to remain in power for a little bit longer. It's eerie how... A lot of us, I think, even use that type of terminology because we've, you know, heard it from probably somebody who was, without even probably realizing it yeah. at times, trying to sort of control your beliefs in a way. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have adopted that mindset to a point where now we're spreading that, we're using those tactics, thinking that we're doing the right thing, but we're we're actually adding to something that's really, really unhealthy. Yeah. So like the most destructive version of a thought terminating cliche might be, I don't know, if there are any like tried and true cult girlies watching, yeah. um, you'll know like Warren Jeffs, the former and now imprisoned abusive leader of the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. He had this phrase, keep sweet. He, he was all about perfection and obedience. The fundamentalist Mormons were like this very contained, physically isolated group um, on the border of Utah and Arizona. And he, he took many wives. He had like 80 wives. Some of them were underage. And they uh, were all instructed at every turn to keep sweet, which was this very haunting, spooky, almost oh, like God. nursery rhyme sounding phrase that meant like, you cannot question me. You need to abide by our standards of femininity and subservience yeah. and deference. And if you don't, there will be terrifying consequences. You could be excommunicated. You could be punished in various ways. But it was all under the guise of this catchy tagline, keep sweet. Ew. Ew is right. Yeah. Can this language ever be used in a way that's beneficial? Like, yeah. I'm not, you think so? Yeah. No, I think this language can be positive because there's nothing inherently sinister about feeling a part of something, about rallying around a collective mission. Um, my best friend works for a nonprofit and I hear cultish language in this nonprofit. Yeah. And nonprofits can be insidiously culty. But, you know, ultimately, this is a nonprofit that I also, that I support and yeah, think that they're absolutely. doing amazing work. And it can be it can be hard to like drum up the motivation to continue to fundraise and support a cause where where a lot is working against you. Mm -hmm. And so to have these sort of like rah-rah phrases, mantras, if you will, that everyone can lean on for inspiration. Like I 
think that can be beautiful. There, There is something actually like physiologically transcendent that happens when we engage in a group mantra or yeah. a group dance. Like it really bonds us. Um, and, and that can be a beautiful thing. But it's when we're in that state of vulnerability that someone uses that to come in and influence us in an insidious way that it, it's a double-edged sword. Do you think that any cult-like behavior is rooted in vulnerability? Yeah, I would say vulnerability plus seeking, right? Because, sure. like, if you don't have any hope that there is something that can fill that void or that can satisfy that need for belonging and connection, then you're probably not going to seek it out and you're not going to fall into a cult, a good one or a bad one. Um, so it needs to be, like, a little bit more active. Um, I, you know, sometimes I joke that, like, being super, super skeptical could, sure, prevent you from the allure of a destructive group, but you'll die alone. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Like, it's like that because the whole point of life is is other people. Totally. So it's like you're kind of you're bound to fall into something. Yeah. And you can't and you can't whether it's like bad or good. Yeah. It's kind of an inevitable thing. Yeah. If you're doing it right, you know, yeah. like who, who show me someone who's gone their whole life without joining something cultish and I'll probably see someone pretty lonely, you know, so lonely. Yeah. Such a good point. Like my dad is so happy and he's a surfer. He is. Listen. No, that is a cult. That's a cult. That is a full cult. My dad would be the first guy to say he'd be like, no, 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. You kidding me? He's like he's obsessed. Yeah. And he's like, and there is, there's the, there's the mantras, there's the, you know, there's the mindset, there's the people, there's the, there's the word, there, there's, there's all the, the gatekeeping, there's the, the territorialism, there's the like, you know, there's earning this and earning that. Totally. It is so, he yeah. is going to LOL when he yeah. hears me bringing oh, that up. Oh, but here it is. Him. It's like, we were just joking just now. We were being like, it's totally a cult. Oh my God. Yeah. And I, I, I'm like blowharding about how like I only hedge my language or like yeah. I like. But here's the thing too is that we as conversationalists are so inherently good at being able to pick up on the intentions and the context and the stakes of whatever yes. we're discussing in a conversation like this that you kind of can use the word cult. In, in this lighthearted of a yes. capacity. And we all know that we're not actually talking about the stakes of Heaven's Gate. I had this sort of epiphany recently about religion, like traditional religion. It's not the backbone of society that it used to be. It is Especially not. in the United States, right? It The numbers are going down. A lot of people who even are religious are starting to branch off and form their own individual, spiritual, whatever. Yeah. And so I love to analyze these things in my free time. I'm laying in bed and I'm like, what's going to happen with this? Because for so long, traditional religion was the backbone of society. It's how everybody got through challenging times. It's how everyone, you know, decided to structure their lives. It was so key. Yeah. And we're losing that. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we're in a very confusing, unsettling moment Yes, where there's just this lack of structure, mm -hmm. I think. And I don't necessarily think that that's bad because uh -huh. I think that that just means we're evolving and we're, you know, we're making changes based on our new circumstances. We're doing so what humans we do. we have to do this, right? I have had this hunch that 
there's going to be this like resurgence of the 60s and 70s where there's all these cults because history mirrors itself sometimes. It does. And are we going to have a rerun of the 60s and 70s or are we already experiencing the modern cult? It's just different and it's just not religious. I think the latter. Me too. And here's what's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because as tricky as it is to define the word cult, it's actually even trickier. And religious studies scholars have been arguing for even longer about how to define a religion. Does it need to involve God? Maybe not necessarily. But you are correct and and spot on and, and a living example of it. Gen Z women are actually the population who is rejecting religion faster than anyone else. It was true for a long time, like Pew Research data reflected for a very long time, that women were actually more religious than anyone else. Um, And very recent Pew data has reflected that I think 49% of Gen Z women identify as religious nuns, not identifying with any religious community whatsoever. But our desire for all of these things, you know, yeah. connection and and something to believe in doesn't yeah. go away. Like we as humans have always been like lovers of fiction. We don't know why we're fucking here. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. We don't we don't know what the point of all of this yeah. is. So we have to make it up. And like even if we are, you know, obsessed with physics and empirical yeah. facts, yeah. it still doesn't fulfill this sort of emotional psychological need to uh, to answer the question of why. Yeah. Why? Yeah. How do we spend our time meaningfully? How do we experience awe? How do we connect with others most effectively and, and meaningfully? It's like, this is, it's a confounding existence that I think you're right, in a way, is only becoming more confounding as we become more globalized, as we at the same time become lonelier and more disconnected, but there's the illusion of connectedness through yeah. social media. Yeah. Like we compare despair when we look online. Yeah. Um and 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 we we've lost touch a little bit with that sense of, you know, tight knit tribalism that our species was built on. So yeah, there's a lot going on. But at the same time, you know, our cultishness is going to look different than it did in the 60s and 70s, despite being motivated by similar things. Because our culture looks different um, and the language is going to sound different. But yeah, like in the 60s and 70s, we think of that as a peak cult moment because, you know, we had the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement and the Kennedy assassinations. There were like so many things that caused the average person to lose trust in the church and in the government and the healthcare system like now. Um, And that's when we saw so many sort of like occultic movements start, you know, the sort of like Midsommar-esque vibe, Um, the Mansons and such. and now cults are largely online this episode is brought to you by dove i'm messy i'm a messy girl and when you're as messy as i am you need a deodorant that doesn't mess around enter dove vitamin care plus deodorant its lightweight formula is super powered with vitamin b3 to reinforce your skin's natural odor defenses while providing new levels of skincare for your underarms keeping you feeling fresh whatever your day throws at you. Dove Vitamin Care Plus Deodorant. Learn more at dove.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. When you want someone compatible, start the search on Bumble. It has the features you need to find exactly what you're looking for. Like a six-foot Aquarius who likes rock climbing and also wants kids. Or a runner with a penchant for poetry who loves dogs and wants a serious connection. We know you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. 
Download Bumble today. It's interesting because I'm realizing now, like analyzing the time that we're in, it's very clear that we are in a moment that breeds cult-like behavior. We are in that moment. Yeah. But because we are in it, to me, I'm like, but where really is it? Like at first when I was thinking about this, I was like, I don't really, it's not really happening yet because I was imagining an exact replica of what was happening in the 60s and 70s because I guess I don't know any different. It's almost like we don't know what our cult era of now really is yet. We're too close to it. We're too close to it. And we're going to find out later. Yeah. Like to me, the online forums, because there are so many, and that's a huge thing that I sort of turn a blind eye to, if that makes sense, because yeah. it makes me uncomfortable. And there's so many. Mm-hmm. Like, it's on Reddit. It's it's everywhere. It's even, but it's in corners of the internet that I'm not in. So I choose to turn a blind eye to that. Me turning a blind eye to that is completely ignoring what might be our cult of today. You're not a Discord girly. <laughs> I'm not a, di- my God, no. I like, <laughs> me neither. That is like not my thing. Like my my cult behavior shows up in other areas. <laughs> You're it's like, just gonna be- I'm a traditionalist. I bow down <laughs> to my Pilates instructor. I, and he is, well, I mean, that man, he has never not spoken truth to me. I'll tell you that. But anyway, more on that later. Um, so if he started a Discord, you would not be joining. I would not be joining because that is a little, that's a little bit too much internet for me. Yes, you know understood. what I mean? I already know in 50 years when we look back at right now, we're going to be like, that was the cult era. Yes. But it's so <laughs> look fascinating at the to be look in at it. The we're in it and we're like, where is it? What really is it? And and we don't feel like it's as big and bad as like when we look back at the 60s and 70s. I'm just, I'm so excited in, in a sick and twisted way to like yeah. look back at now. Yeah. You know, hindsight is 2020. I just can't wait to see it. I also think beyond, you know, online forums and things like that, there's, I, we have to touch on the cult of public figures. Do you think that public figures are unintentional cult leaders? Because I don't think a lot of public figures go into becoming a public figure. Yeah. For power, power. control. A lot of people, there's a creative element. Yeah. There's an art element. There's a story that they want to tell. And mm-hmm. it's about helping society, right? Ideally. But do you think public figures are cult leaders in a way? They certainly can be. <laughs> you so know? you think they can be? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just so weird when you're a creative person, your success and how well you're known are so intrinsically linked. When I think of some of the most insidious cult leaders in our culture today, secular cult leaders, they're not visible. They're like the politicians and tech CEOs whose faces we don't recognize. Yeah. But yes, I think we also live in this very strange time of of personal branding and extreme individualism that creates a scenario where like, I am my own cult leader at this point. It's like, I'm not like a novelist, right? Like I write nonfiction and I talk about nonfiction in public. And this person that I'm, not to be like totally navel gazing, but for argument's sake, like this person talking to you right now is a version of me. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not wholly me. Of it's course. the version of me that's talking about cults, but 
this is the version that people see and want to see. So I lean into that more. Mm -hmm. And so you sort of like (laughs) disconnect from a sense of self. And so then you're like following your own personal branding journey. You're like chasing that. And so in a sense, like, yeah, because of of this culture of extreme individualism and micro liberties and such, like I, I, I sometimes feel like I am cult following this version of me. I completely, I've never thought of this before, but it's so true. You can almost become your own cult leader as a public figure because you're, you impris- you're imprisoned by, yeah. by this identity that yeah. you didn't even create because in a weird way, at times it can feel like your audience is your cult leader For sure. because they're like, where's that version of you? Yes. Which is like, by the way, when you're a public figure, you have to have a thick skin. Yeah, you, have to you be can't ready listen for that. to that. You can't listen to that. But it's hard not to. But if to. you do, then you kind of fall into this place where, like, you're stuck. You feel stuck. It's it's interesting because it's like fame in general gives the illusion that someone is almost godlike. Yes. When we look at our favorite celebrities, we look at them as almost gods like they're deities to us yeah we sometimes worship them we sometimes see them as non-human yeah it's just interesting that it seems like on both sides there's a very culty element like definitely for this for the celebrity for the public figure and for the audience yeah do you think that the celebrity fan parasocial relationship can ever be healthy because it there is a really culty situation happening. And as we know now, that can be positive or negative. Do you think it can be healthy? Because I, I have like an existential crisis about this all the time because I am in the, I am a public figure myself. And I'm like, am I contributing to something that is actually unhealthy for society? I don't know. And I, that's, a moral dilemma I face constantly. You know, this is the very subject that I also took away from cultish as like the most fascinating and something that I wasn't like really, really able to address in that book. So this is something I've been thinking about nonstop. Um, There is a cognitive bias called the halo effect that I think is underlying a lot of celebrity worship in addition to all these like societal factors. There's something intrinsic in us that causes us to worship role models that maybe were once our parents or our, you know, community leaders. And now that it's hard to tell who even is in our social circle anymore, like, is it celebrities? Is it my coworkers? Celebrities, these larger than life godlike figures can uh, become, you know, our new, the new subjects of our worship, um, our new role models. And that bias is, is deep within us. And it can be a double-edged sword and very destructive in this time in society because to deify someone is to dehumanize them. And I think that's why we see such extreme cycles of celebrity worship and dethronement because the halo effect causes us to think that because we like one thing in a person, because we like their music or we like their fashion sense, then they must be perfect overall. And when they don't live up to that standard, we punish them. That Mm -hmm. halo is doused in ice water. I think like communities surrounding certain celebrities can be really beautiful and offer solace and um you know again all those like positive cultish things to you know marginalized communities as well it's like but female pop stars often serve as like a mouthpiece for queer community and that can be like a really beautiful thing totally um but 
There is copious research demonstrating that a certain extreme amount of like deleterious parasocial delusional worship has serious mental health repercussions, including narcissistic tendencies, a propensity for suicidal thoughts, excessive self-focus, severe body image issues. And so I've been thinking about it a lot uh, because, yeah, certain celebrity communities celebrity stand dynamics, I should say, are are more extreme now and growing more extreme than mm-hmm. I've like ever seen before. It's interesting because I'm thinking about it now, too. It's not particularly new to use celebrities as gods, almost. Like, yeah. I feel like that, st- I don't know when that started, but I can imagine the second that we had the technology to have celebrities, yeah, this started. I think so. But I think that's, new yeah like that's actually somewhat new and like it's only getting deeper for sure um there's a reporter a new york times op-ed writer named jessica gross who wrote a really interesting piece a few years ago um titled something like i'm gonna botch it but it's like when did celebrities start to matter I mean, in modern history, we can look at Beatlemania, mm-hmm. right? That was like incredibly fanatical religious yep. worship. Like mm-hmm. people thought Paul McCartney was their God. husband. And yeah, husband. and and God. God and um, husband. Yeah. And um, so that was an era that felt similar, like a predecessor to what we're seeing now. Um, but what Jessica Gross wrote about was um how in the Reagan era, that's when we started to perceive celebrities as not just, you know, entertainers, but spiritual guides, people we should look to for politics because Reagan was an actor who then became the president. So it was like, okay, now the lines are really starting to blur. Celebrities aren't just, you know, famous singers and and actors. They're people we should look to for moral guidance. Um, They're people that we should, quote unquote, worship. And Ever since then, and and that coincides, I mean, the Reagan era came on the heels of the cult era of the 60s and 70s. There's a historical cultural path that you can follow, and and it makes sense. So it will be interesting in 20 years to make sense of this. Yeah, like it's because it's, oh my God, it's so interesting. And it's really scary because I think if you're someone who is aware enough to know that we're all capable of all the things that we deem to be bad. Yeah. We can all be evil. We can all be gullible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we can all do things that violate what we think is our, like, chorus, chorus yeah. sense of self. Well, you have to, like, I've seen this so many times written in various places just about how important it is to know that, like, you are no different from other humans. Every, like, we're all capable of that, of anything. Good, bad. So, like, don't think that you're different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody has to keep their eyes peeled, my love. We all have to keep it. We just have to be, like, aware of the fact that it. we could fall into some shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's especially during a time, right, like, right now where we're all very vulnerable. And a lot of us are very confused. And a lot of us are lacking foundation because there's no foundation to just be handed to us right now totally like there was in the past yeah we feel like existentially unmoored (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah i think you know beyond like celebrities i've noticed that there's a lot of cultiness around vanity like 
skincare, plastic surgery. Uh, you know, what else did I write down on my clipboard? It's workout classes. It's diet culture. It's, there's a cultiness around appearance too. Yes. Like that's a huge yeah. section of this debacle. Yeah. I think, well, obviously like social media has exacerbated this. We're yeah. sort of all expected to present ourselves like celebrities in a way and yeah. our standards for perfection have increased as the technology to attain those standards has increased. Um, but I actually think that the those phenomena, you know, our, our obsession with skincare and plastic surgery and such and working out is still connected to the religious origin story of the United States because this is fundamentally like a Protestant capitalist nation, mm -hmm. you know, and um, we have these standards of perfection and obedience mm -hmm. and self-improvement baked into who we are as a society. And wherever the culture is at any given moment will determine what the aesthetic looks like. Yeah. Um, you know, at a certain time, it was, you know, going to church and, yeah. you know, doing the rituals of Protestantism. And now the new Protestantism, in a way, is working out, having a perfect body, having a perfect face. It's still achieving those deep-rooted standards yeah. of perfection and obedience and self-improvement and ambition, you know, all these things that define the American dream. But in the aesthetic of the sort of like extremely individualist, image-centric social media era. Cults are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. There's like <laughs> cult-like behaviors. There's cult-like... I just think being aware of it is so healthy because it allows you to use it in a way that's positive. Totally. Whether it's, you know, not involving yourself in something that's unhealthy mm -hmm. or it's involving yourself in something that's really communal and special. Yeah. You know, I think the more aware we are of it, the better we can navigate our own lives and sort of deal with that inevitable piece of being human yeah it's all we can do because yeah. again it's like what so we're supposed to avoid anything vaguely culty mm -hmm. boring yeah we can't we literally <laughs> we can't. can't we can't we have to go to pilates and we have to go to line <laughs> yeah. dancing it's obvious and you know what if we end up going and doing a retreat for three weeks with a group that has kind of like you know seems like they have good intentions maybe we do that too yeah i think my concluding question is do you think that there's any way a religious cult can be healthy. And, and this is an opinion question. This is mm -hmm. not, you don't have to know the answers to the universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just curious about your perspective. <laughs> With careful words. <laughs> uh, a group that has qualities that could be considered cultish, <laughs> mm -hmm. like ritual and us versus them attitudes and such, and also metaphysical and spiritual beliefs, can be healthy as long as there is room for pushback a dignified exit strategy, a way to say, this might not be for me anymore, or actually I would like to keep just one foot out the door. Um, and it and there needs to be room for you to confer with outsiders, right? Because we consult with our loved ones and our friends who don't belong to every single group that we are a part of or don't have a relationship with everyone that we do uh, to get their perspective. Yeah. And if these boxes are checked off like yeah no you you actually have to fully invest in this group and 
you know, the, the further you're in, the harder it's going to be to get out mm -hmm. and you're friends and family on the outside don't like it actually come to think of it you don't have any friends and family on the outside yeah those are some of the characteristics that signal too cultish for comfort that's the perfect place to end it oh too cultish for, for comfort, comfort. <laughs> thank you for coming on oh it was my honor it was phenomenal